friends, this is Secret Sauce, a podcast about the secret ingredients and artwork in life. I'm your host, Becca Borelli. I'm also an illustrator in Austin, Texas, and this episode is entitled An Army of Artists. I, I don't like, let's take a minute to acknowledge the elephant in the room (laughs) which is how long it's been and you know maybe we don't need to frame it as like a lengthy period of time maybe it's just the perfect amount of time I've kind of come to the conclusion that this podcast is just random for right now and um that has been serving me better than the alternative which is that I'm failing. (laughs) Can you all relate? I kind of want to fess up to my experience around this briefly before we dive into today's episode because I'm very excited to record today. Um, But I also have been feeling a little bit like, you know, a teenager kind of coming up to the front door two hours late for curfew and y'all are the parents inside. Like, and I'm imagining that you're going to be like tapping your foot, like super pissed, like, where you know where have you been like good podcasters are consistent and show up every week you know that type of thing when really like if I open the door you're just going to be so relieved that I'm back (laughs) like I've gotten some lovely messages in the past couple weeks from people you know who you are that have been so helpful in me overcoming this learning curve of feeling like kind of just like a jerk (laughs) for saying I'm going to show up and then not showing up when really it's okay, you know? Um, And I want to use this as a launching place for today's episode because I think it's one that gets overlooked a little bit, especially in podcasting circles and especially in creative circles. Um, The... I I can't speak for you and I can't speak for people in general, but I know for myself when I listen to podcasts or, and especially when I consume content, whether it's a podcast or, you know, something on social media or an interview or whatever from one of my creative heroes in whatever field that may be, there's a tendency to assume, you know, that they have something in their repertoire that I don't. And it serves me. And of course, then I continue to come back to them because of the way that that service enriches my life, you know, and my art. But then over time, and I think this is a very human thing to do over time when you are on the receiving end of this support from other people that you view as creative heroes, for example, It can be easy to assume that the person on the other side of the microphone, the other side of the paintbrush, the other side of the internet, whatever, has their shit together in a way that you don't. And that is a lie that gets everyone on all sides in trouble (laughs) because it's never true. No matter how much worldly success the person has that you're going to for support, they are fucking it up every day so bad, just like you just like you I promise like I'm experiencing this from both sides and it's weird it's been weird 
Um, so I want to talk about it as kind of like a launching place into today's topic. And I kind of wanted to just start off by being a little humble and saying, y'all, I've been fucking it up over here. Like, um, I've been actively ignoring some of the best advice I've ever given on this podcast, right? Like I've been actively ignoring some of the teachings I've gotten in my own art practice over the years. One of them being, you know, make art from a place of no mind, make art from a place with something bigger, make art from a place that's disconnected from capitalism, right? Like make art from a place that just shows up every day for the love, make art from a place that brings you home to yourself. And instead, it's just been tons and tons of mental garbage. Like, and I, I wanted to start off there because I do wonder if there's people that listen to this podcast and they're like, oh, Borelli, like, she's so, like, I've had people tell me this, so I don't think I'm making it up. Like, I've had people say, you're, you know, your content is so peaceful. It's been so supportive. You have perspectives that really help me. All of that like has changed my life for the better like I lean on those comments when I'm in the pits because every creative person is in the pits like there's just no way to avoid it like that we're always kind of spiraling in and out of these ebbs and flows of creative expression and sometimes we're just like killing it and feeling like on top of the world and other times we're in the pits and for the past year and a half I've been in I've been in a pit And because I have so much experience in the past with being in a pit and knowing the ways that I've extricated myself from the pits in the past, it's been very interesting to be in this particular pit and not have success extricating myself using the same tools. I've talked about this in some past episodes in the past like six months. It's been a really interesting time. And so in some ways I feel like I have this like really helpful information, like really, like I'm in a place that's been so gross in certain ways that I feel like I can speak to people in a way that's more real than I ever have been in the past few years, honestly. And then simultaneously, I feel kind of like a fraud. Like, who am I to be like talking to y'all right now when I'm barely keeping it together over here? Like, really, in in some ways, and and that sounds really alarmist. Like, there's nothing like terribly bad going on over here from, like, if anyone were to come and experience the day-to-day life of my family, you'd be like, you guys are cool. Like, yeah. Um... But there have been moments in the past year and a half where I've broken down, gross broken down, just like to a level that I never, ever wanted to experience, you know? And so like getting onto a podcast then and saying, listen to my ideas about art feels like fake on one hand and then on the other hand it feels like this is exactly the time I should be talking so I wanted to kind of acknowledge that like out the gate and use that kind of as a segue into today's topic because admittedly y'all prior to 
a year ago when I started to step away from my business and went on like I had like a 90% hiatus, right? Like my business is still continuing to do some small wholesale things, but otherwise like all custom work has stopped. All teaching has stopped. Leading up to that, I was for all intents and purposes, really winning. I what I was in it. And the, and the pandemic dampened things. Like I really think if the pandemic hadn't have happened, my business would have continued on an unsustainable course for longer. And so in that regard, I guess I'm kind of grateful for the pandemic. But as many of you know, listening to this, it's like hard to really feel grateful for the pandemic, even though the pandemic has greatly sobered up the entire planet for the better. Like... Both and are true, right? Both and, this is something I talk about in this podcast a lot. Both and is very artistic, right? Something can suck and be beautiful at the same time. There's nothing more artistic than that. And that's that's hyperbolic to say. You know, there's probably lots of things that are more artistic than that. But it's a very artistic thing to be able to hold space for the both and. And so... And when I say that the pandemic kind of stopped my business from going off in an unsustainable direction, what I mean is before 2020, everything was ramping up in this very capitalistic way. Like I was, my business was really gaining a lot of success from the capitalist market economy lens, right? Like I was on the local news all the time. I was starting to work for larger and larger multinational corporations. Like I was doing murals for Visa and Boston Beer Company and Dell. And I was teaching national workshops for Facebook, right? Like it was like things, those were things I never even dreamed about five years earlier. I mean, I kind of did, but like as they started to happen, I was like experiencing a lot of the material aspects of success that I had dreamed about. And it was awesome. Like, I can't overstate that enough. Like, I really set out to achieve some of those things. And as they happened, I really savored the pride that came with it, you know? And then and then simultaneously started to savor the accolades that were attached to that, you know, like we opened, you know, in 2018, I partnered with two powerhouse female businesses here in Austin, Allie Lanyas from Stampworthy Goods. Those of you who used to come to Lemon House back in the day, you know, Allie. I also was with um, Misha Farzane, um, the amazing jeweler <laughs> from Austin. And these two women you know, changed my life forever, like making art alongside them for just a few years. Um, we did not intentionally shut Lemon House down. Um, the pandemic kind of did that for us when the, the company that owned our property reclaimed it. Um, and, you know, it was like the perfect time. Like I was pregnant. Allie was soon to be pregnant. Misha's traveling all over the world right now. Like the, it was a really special time. And in those years, All three of us were kind of like watching our businesses like ramp up and then simultaneously getting this feedback from people that was amazing. 
right? Like people coming into my studio saying things that I had only dreamed about as a kid. Like you've changed my life. Your work has changed my life. Like doesn't every artist hope to hear that, you know? Um, or, or things that were just like straight up, like, you know, like firing the crap out of my ego, you know, like you're, you're so cool. You know, like people would say things like that. Like, and it started to make, I would come home and have these conversations with my husband who is so loving and also so grounding. And we would have these conversations about like how much I wanted to like wrap my arms around these people and thank them for the energy that they were like sending to me and also wanting to like protect myself from some of the grosser sides of that, right? Like that over time, artists and creatives kind of can get these really unmanageable egos (laughs) because of that kind of stuff run rampant. And I think one of the reasons why I was protective around some of that energy was because it was so cool to hear, but like my day to day was really stressful, right? Like managing large mural projects with large corporations was really challenging. And I waited way too long to start working with a lawyer (laughs) and got myself into some legal trouble, Um, you know, and all of the gross grossness that comes along with like having to like fight companies for, you know, using your work inappropriately and all that kind of stuff. And really by the end during the pandemic thinking, this isn't why I got into art, like, whoa, like feeling really lost, like feeling like I was spending all of my time doing things that I didn't want to be doing. And this is something that um, Steve Jobs talked about when he, when he was alive in one of his famous commencement addresses where he he's telling a bunch of graduates, pay attention to your day-to-day. And when your day-to-day starts to become more of what you don't want to do than what you do, that's when you know you've gotten off course. And I was, I was off course. Like I, I knew that objectively. And so when the pandemic descended, it was like this perfect time. Honestly, I was I, like that the thing that's bigger, the thing that I make art with that's bigger than me was really telling me to pump the brakes. And I knew it wouldn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people in my life, you know? Um, And so the pandemic was like a great excuse, right? Like it was an excuse to slow things down. Like everyone just was like, oh, of course things are slowing down in Burley's business. It's it's a pandemic. (laughs) And then I got pregnant and it was an excuse to pump the brakes even more. And I had made this decision really consciously. Like it, it was, you know, not, I wasn't forced to slow, slow things down. Like I chose to slow things down. And one of the reasons why I chose it was because this thing, this thing that I always have listened to when I make my artwork and when I also make my life artwork, (laughs) my living artwork. Um, you know, I've always listened to that thing because when I do, everything works out. And when I don't, things get crunchy (laughs) and and, and increasingly crunchy until I eventually listen, you know, it was saying, you know, this corporate streak that you're on is, it was good 
for years and now it's not good. Now you're stressed and now you're unhappy. And what would make you happy, Becca? And the things that I started to really want wasn't the prestige of seeing my work on the wall of a bougie company. You know, that was really great for a long time. And I'm so lucky that I got to experience those things. And in, and both and are true here again, right? That because I got to do those things, then those things became a step for the next things. And weirdly, the step for the next things didn't feel up. It felt like I was being asked to go down in, down like deeper and quieter. And so it was all very conscious. It was all very intentional. And I think that I may, I mistakenly thought because I was intentionally slowing things down in my business initially. And then after Brayden was born, making the decision in, it was in March of 2022, making the decision to like actively put the brakes on things. I think I mistakenly thought because it was intentional that I wouldn't have anything to grieve. And because I didn't think I would have anything to grieve, I think for the first like six to eight months um, after doing that, I really actively repressed any attempts that my body and spirit were trying to go through to grieve because they didn't make sense to me. And thankfully, the thing about grief is that it will happen, (laughs) whether you allow it to or not, eventually it will come up. And it really all started to just explode forward in October, you know, like really, really came forward in October. And there was so much that I, I, I felt a little bit, um, broadsided by it. I felt clotheslined by it. If I'm being honest, I was clotheslined by it. Like just on my back, staring up at the sky, wondering what the fuck was going on. Um, and it was around this time that I started to have this like (laughs) low key obsession with revisiting Dave Chappelle comedy specifically his most recent comedy since he's sort of returned to the comedy scene in the last few years. Um, And his stuff was the inspiration for the title of this podcast episode. And so I kind of want to talk about it for a minute. I want to talk about some of the things that he's talked about and the ways that they really matter for us collectively as artists because Dave Chappelle is interesting whether you like his comedy or not right because some people love it and some people don't love it um but the reason why he's so interesting is that he's done something that almost no artists I know of have ever done And because he's been able to do something that very few artists have ever done, he's able to talk about things that very few artists will ever be able to talk about. And some of I feel like most people listening to this podcast probably are familiar with his story. If not, 
the general gist is he walked away from a level of material success that very few artists will ever achieve. And because so few artists ever achieve that level of material success, when, when and if they do, walking away is like not, it's like not even a question. Like, right? Like he had a multi-million dollar deal for many years with Comedy Central. Um, he had a platform for his ideas that would reach, you know, all across the globe. Um, money out, out the ears. <laughs> Um, not to mention all of the, you know, fame and resources that come with that kind of achievement. And he had, from what I've garnered listening to him talk about it, a similar conflict. Like, I mean, I'm here. This is great. Like, I worked for this. This is awesome. But I, I think I'm ready for something else and it's not this. <laughs> and unlike me, who's relatively obscure with this tiny little illustration business in Austin, right? He was known across the global stage. And when he chose to pump the brakes and walk away from that deal, he was, you know, not only is that one of the hardest things for an artist to do, but then he was publicly ridiculed in the media and by everybody. <laughs> and he said something interesting, and I was listening to him give a speech at his alma mater, where he went to art school in, as a high schooler, as a teenager. He was invited to speak to the students there uh, last year. And I think you can still watch it on Netflix if you search for it. Um, and he said something that was so interesting to me. He said, you don't say no to people like that at that level of the entertainment industry without paying for it. And he didn't go any further, right? Like he didn't elaborate on what that phrase meant, but it was really interesting to hear someone talk about power in, in the creative industry like that. Like, I think that we think of art as so pure and we forget that when you get up to that level, you're talking about an energy that honestly is in conflict with some of the roots of why we make stuff to begin with, right? So I'm listening to this stuff by Dave Chappelle and I'm grieving the loss of some of this stuff that I had intentionally let die, right? And it felt really nice to hear someone talk about a similar experience, right? Like he chose to let his career die and then subsequently spent like seven or eight years grieving that. And he had to grieve it in a culture that really wasn't going to support him. You know, like, because when you walk away from material success, it's really triggering for other people who are trying to achieve that type of success for themselves. Many people are, um, are either trying for that kind of success or they dream about it. And so to watch someone have it and then intentionally let it go 
can feel like a slap in the face for those for for like lots of people and they have no idea that that's why it feels like a slap right like I think to 99% of people that watched Dave Chappelle do that they just assumed he was a dumbass like I think that's how most people would identify his choice back in the 90s or early 2000s when he did that but like if you dig beneath the surface like really there's grief there like people are like what the fuck like I would kill for those opportunities why would you do that you know like you're disrespecting me by walking away from those things you know and I think as a maker he probably really grappled with that I know I grappled with that I remember when I announced that I was walking away from BBI um you know not even even remotely in that capacity right like like trying to compare my situation to Dave Chappelle's is like kind of silly. This is like very different. There's things that are similar, but at the end of the day, what I walked away from was so small in comparison and yet r- relatively so meaningful. You know, like I spent a long time building some of these things that I've watched die in the past year. You know, they were my children, it was my business baby. And there were you know, interesting reactions from people. I've talked about this in earlier episodes. Like some of my closest people were like, I'm so proud of you. But a lot of people were kind of like, what? What are you doing? From a business standpoint, it was a really dumb time to do that. A seemingly dumb time. Um, but I was engaging with this thing that has always felt bigger than my business, bigger than me. And it was saying, no, no, no. Like the stuff that's going to die is supposed to die now. And it's, it was really interesting to listen to this, this comedian talking about having a similar experience. And when he went into obscurity for such a long period of time, and, you know, after a few years, everyone forgot about him because that's how the entertainment industry is, you know? And, he said that it was a time of great grief, but also then a time of great freedom. Because when nobody has strings attached to what you're doing, you can revisit some of the core reasons that you make stuff. And I've been thinking a lot about this, having a young son at home. I've worked with little kids in the arts my whole life. I was an elementary art teacher for five years. I was a preschool teacher before that. I was a nanny before that. I was a summer camp counselor before that. I, um, in the past like decade here in Austin, have been teaching adults all the way up to retirees to make art. Um, some of them for the first time since grade school, you know? And I can say that one of the things that I can pull from that wealth of experience is this grain of truth that we all are wired to make art at its at our core to come home to ourselves to regulate our nervous systems to heal the invisible deep parts of ourselves that's what art is for at its core that's the way that little 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 kids make art naturally from day one 
And I've been thinking about this a lot with my son. He's one and a half. He's just turned 19 months about a week ago. And everyone asks me, oh, are you painting with him? Are you drawing with him? And the answer is, is no, actually. <laughs> Pretty early on, I realized that Brayden was not showing a propensity for visual art. I, I will keep doing things with him because, you know, it's like a great idea to do lots of different things with your kids. Their um, interests are going to change all the time. Um, and so I have like no interest in pigeonholing him, right? But early on, Brayden's creative forces are undoubtedly musical, y'all. Like my husband and my parents and Jason's parents are just like, this kid is obsessed with music, specifically rhythm. Um, my father-in-law is, um, he's a drummer and he does drumming for Austin Samba here in Austin, as well as some drum circles, you know, for fun post-retirement. And so he like got Brayden these like little percussion instruments, like maracas and things. And my mother-in-law is an OT, right? So of course, like she's getting these, you know, things for his like occupational therapy expression as well. They're like the most interesting people to have in Brayden's life because they instantly latched onto like this creative outlet for him. And he, <laughs> ever since, he treats everything like it's a maraca. Like we laugh so hard. He'll walk around our backyard picking up sticks and shaking them just in case they have noise inside. And, and then when they don't, it doesn't matter because the rhythm of him shaking his arm up and down with a stick in it is so soothing to him and he'll just walk around like shaking his arm and he like as soon as music comes on he's tapping or he's bouncing his body and then most recently I would say about three weeks ago um on our daily morning hikes with our dogs he has started humming in my ear because he's like on my on my back <laughs> <laughs> and it took I at first I I told my in-laws I said I don't know what he's humming it's something that I know but I can't figure it out and they were fine they were able to finally put their finger on it. it's row 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 your boat and I don't know how many of you have the experience this very specific experience of walking in a nature preserve in the morning with a one and a half year old on your back humming row 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 your boat in your ear for two miles but there is not much that's more beautiful <laughs> it's kind of a hyperbolic thing to say um there's so much beauty in the world but that particular experience is oh, it's like a balm <laughs> for my heart hearing a one and a half year old sing is so pure and the reason it's pure is because he's doing it for the reasons that we're all deeply wired to make stuff which is to come home to himself to um, bring that thing that's bigger through him because he's so connected to it like it's like with him all the time and he's constantly like oh yeah 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 okay cool let me just express you for a minute i'm the channel it's coming through so 
clean. Whatever that thing is, whatever that thing is, whether you call it God or consciousness or source or or you think it's just nature or nothing, whatever, there, there is, I believe, for most people, something that's bigger. Um, and even people who say nothing, like you can kind of Google this, it's very interesting. There's quite a few people in the sciences who will say, um, I've found like really interesting versions of this same sentiment, which has caught me off guard in the most interesting way. There's lots of scientists who will report, you know, being in science sort of naturally inclines you towards atheism, right? Like that there's nothing else really like bigger. But then if you keep diving into science long enough, eventually the inevitable conclusion is that there is. <laughs> Right, like the science has actually been proving the existence of something bigger increasingly over the years. Um, and that's so cool to me. That's so cool to me. And my son is so connected to that thing. And he's constantly, like every parent knows this, right? Like their their children are just constantly bringing that thing forward. And it's so cool to be around them. My son has no desire to sing for money. None. He has no desire to sing, to even serve other people. <laughs> he just does it because he's wired to do it. And it feels really good. And so Dave Chappelle's like talking about this. He's like, I, you know, no one gave a shit about me. And I was like so sad for a long time. And then I realized, well, that's actually kind of cool. Like, why did I start making comedy in the first place? It just felt good. I'm just going to go back to stages, do that for a while. And isn't that weirdly what everyone gets into art business for anyway, right? Like, I think there's this idea that if we get into the arts and then we can like do the thing that we love and make money from it, we'll have it made, you know, and I want to posit this idea, and I feel like it's an idea that is one that gets to be had by people when it's right for them. So I feel like depending on where you are in your art journey, you're going to hear this and you're going to be like, cool. Mm, also, maybe I'm not into it or cool. I'm into it, but it's not really relevant to my life right now. Or, oh, fuck, yeah, it's relevant to my life right now. Whatever. I want to acknowledge that out the gate. And, and the idea is this, that we think we're getting into an art career because it's art and money. And what is better than having both, <laughs> right? But then we start to realize that, unfortunately, the type of of money structure we have on the planet right now capitalism market economies are toxic um, maybe they weren't always that way but they are now and when you introduce the thing that you love to those systems inevitably there's a conflict inevitably those systems start to require you to do things that harm 
the relationship you have with the thing that used to heal you, right? Like my son is healed by music. He can be wailing and we just have to sing to him and it stops. That's gorgeous. That's gorgeous shit right there. Like everyone here can feel that. Everyone has a relationship with art that way. It may not be with music. It I don't know what your thing is, but everyone has a thing that did that for them as children. And maybe my son will grow up to want to be a musician one day that makes money. And should he have a lot of worldly success in a capitalist environment, at some point, that environment will start to ask him to do things that harm the original relationship he has with music. And so this is like weird. It's weird to get to this point in your work as an artist because it's like a place that everyone dreams of getting. And then once you get there, you have to start asking yourself really crunchy questions about what type of relationship you're willing to have with these money structures. And... Unless you've lived that experience, it's really hard to understand, you know? Hence the reason why people get so mad at Dave Chappelle when he walked away. And so when you, when you walk away, though, it's not, it, it, it looks, from the outside looking in, it does look like a slap to the success. It looks like a disrespect to everyone else that hasn't had those opportunities, you know? But really at its core, for I, I really suspect this is true for Dave Chappelle. I think, I can't speak for him though, so I'm just going to speak for myself. For me, it felt like it would be more of a slap to other people not to use the artistic privilege I have, however small it is, to ask the hard questions because on the other side of those hard questions is an opportunity to serve even better through my art making. And so I'm listening. I I keep coming back to this, but it's kind of like a thread. Thanks for following it. I keep, so I, I keep coming back to Dave Chappelle. He's like, has all these comedy, you know, these shows on Netflix that have come out in the past few years and he's talking about his experience walking away and getting made fun of and like how he dealt with it and I forget what particular episode or show it was that he said this but he said I I'm not here to like fuck around I want to make an army of artists and that hit me I've never you know those those things are so intriguing together, at least for me. Are, are they for you? Army and artist. To me, it's like oil and water. And I have an aversion and also an intrigue around using those words together. And he didn't really elaborate. And so I, but I thought about it. You know, I thought about what does he mean by that? And I, I don't actually know. Um, But I know that for me, if I were creating an army of artists, it would be because the world is ready. 
The world is ready for a different kind of energy to be in the front. And it's not capitalism anymore. It's not business anymore. It's not materialism anymore. It's it's the energy of my son singing on my back in the morning for no fucking reason at all except that it's what we do to heal ourselves. That's the energy that the world needs so much right now. And I think in his own way, in his own Dave Chappelle way, which is totally different from me, y'all, we, we share our home state in common. He's from Ohio. Um, otherwise, you know, he and I look like very, very different <laughs> But I think that he recognizes the same, you know, that the future is art and the shift is going to be when artists start to organize themselves consciously, not, and I, and when I say that, I don't mean like, let's meet at midnight and ride, (laughs) although that's kind of a cool, like, how cool is that idea? Like, a bunch of artists, like, gathering in the nighttime and, like, like the hill countries of Texas on horseback and, like, spreading out across the country with, like, oil lamps in hand. Like, that's cool. It's very cool. Um, I think the organization is going to be more figurative, right? Where slowly and surely... People like you listening to podcasts like this are starting to wake up to the fact that being an artist is being at the forefront of a revolution in consciousness because artists have been sold a lie for a really long time, you know, especially in the past like century. And that is that if your art is going to be worth a damn you're going to figure out a way to meld it with capitalism right don't don't we idolize artists that have figured out a way to do that and don't we kind of like at the bare minimum disregard people lovingly making things in their garage for no reason for no money at all (laughs) and and then at the worst kind of like make fun of them right like that's not like that's just a hobby right you know, I know artists that say things like that. You know, they're hobbyists, right? Like being an artist is like, you know, being in capitalism. <laughs> That's the lie that a lot of artists have been sold. Like, um, and I've seen the way that this lie shows up, especially in my art classes with adults. They'll come in and they'll you know, even when I market my classes as process focused, right? They'll come in with these really capitalistic notions of production. I, I once had this older older guy, he was, you know, retired and he was taking a drawing class for me. And I'll never forget, he pulled me aside like halfway through the course and he's like, give it to me straight. And I I was so taken aback and I I said, what? And he's like, just give me the hard news. Tell me where I suck. Tell me how I can be better. I just want to know. I just want to know, like, is it my shading? Is it my shapes? Is it my composition? Like, 
And what I heard him saying was a, a deep frustration with me. Like he was like, he had bought the story that art wasn't about singing on your mom's back for no reason. That art was about making beautiful shit. And I want you to show me how to do that. You know, like I, I can take it. Just tell like, those are like voices that are deeply embedded in like the old ways of doing things, especially in capitalism. Just like, tell me how to make it fucking good. Tell me how to make it valuable to other people. Um, those are voices that I still hear in my practice day in and day out. Right. And I'm consciously having to bring myself back to the voice of five-year-old Becca. No, shut up. <laughs> and I remember I, I could deeply sense that there was very little I could say to him until he was in a place to move out of that narrative. There's, it should be stated, nothing wrong with that narrative. I worked in that narrative successfully for a really long time, and it played a huge role in my work today. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that he is, was in that place artistically for a very important reason, and to force him out of it would have been doing a disservice to him, and so I just like let it go. Um, he actually didn't come back to like the last few classes. He didn't return. And I, I honored that because it wasn't what he needed. Like I wasn't going to be the one to help him in the next steps of his art journey. But when people are ready to reconnect with the reasons that they make stuff, to go back to the the ways that art heals not just us individually but collectively that's when we're starting a revolution as more and more artists wake up to the lies that they've been sold about why we make stuff as they wake up to that and they start making things for different reasons, those are the armies I think Chappelle's talking about. And this isn't about painters only, y'all. This is about garbage men. <laughs> We're in the middle of South by Southwest right now here in Austin. I did a podcast episode about this a couple years ago. Um, in South by a while ago, there was a performance artist that came here and she partnered with the Austin, uh, the Texas Disposal System to create an artwork, a performance artwork out in the old airport tarmac <laughs> using garbage trucks. And she was weaving into this performance work, this fascination that we all should have with this particular field of work. Um, being a garbage man or woman is profoundly beautiful work. How do I know that? Because my son runs to the window every fucking time a garbage truck comes by. That's every kid that's ever lived, <laughs> male or female. When they're really young, they're like, what is this? What is this gorgeousness? 
And who are the amazing people that get to do it? I want to do that. How many of you have children that said they want to be garbage men or women? Um, I watched a documentary about this particular performance piece. You can watch it too if you Google it. And they interviewed some of the people that participated in this piece. And, and it was really heartbreaking. One of them talks about how when his little son was very small, he was so proud of his dad. And then as he got older, he started to like be embarrassed to tell his friends what his dad did for work. What is it about the culture that we live in that does that to the original preciousness around our creations, right? That teaches us that the value of our work is to be quantified, especially through the dollar, right? I want to take a pause here because a lot of what I just said I think is valuable and also a lot of what I just said should be scrutinized for a minute. A lot of what I said, first of all, is grounded in a tremendous amount of privilege. (laughs) Um, I think one of the reasons that we haven't gotten to talk about yet in this episode that people get angry at actions like Dave Chappelle, for example, is that there's a disproportionate number of people in this country and around the world that can't even feed themselves doing work that they hate, <laughs> let alone thrive doing work that they love. To thrive doing work that they love feels like such an accessible dream, and then to see someone achieve that and then choose to walk away feels like a true disrespect. I mean, that's real, that's real talk there. Um, and it should be acknowledged that the same goes for me. Like, I would never have been able to even remotely consider some of the ideas I'm talking about in this episode if it wasn't for the tremendous privilege I have. And I have this really weird relationship with privilege because most of my privilege comes from who I fell in love with and married. Prior to knowing Jason, I was, it feels weird to say, um, but as far as like profession, my professional life, I was solidly working class. It was waiting tables um, and teaching. I couldn't just teach because teachers don't make enough. And it's like really unfortunate, but um, teachers are wholly underpaid in our country and so all of them are like taking these other working class jobs to support themselves and pay their bills and I was up until knowing Jason I was constantly like working around you know dishwashers that would teach me Spanish and like feeling more connected to them and it was weird to because of my marriage to Jason and because of his financial support, be able to then start really chasing some of the dreams that I had, having a lot of success, and then starting to work in these fields of people that were so different than the first 80% of my life, right? Like, honestly, miss working with bussers and back waiters and expediters and chefs. Those people are 
really connected to artistry of living in a way that people who spend their days in cubicles don't get to experience. And I know that sounds like a judgment call of people that have white collar jobs. It's, it's not, it's just an observation. I'm for all intents and purposes, white collar now too. I, you know, sit in a studio and I primarily work with corporate um, organizations now for my income. So it was it was like weird. It's weird to have some of these conversations because I feel like I have a lot of experiences from both sides and I don't always know how to negotiate that. There's part of me that is like that wants to say, "Oh, I'm one of you," but I'm not anymore. Nope, not. I'm not you know, I used to be kind of, and even then I wasn't really, you know, because I had, you know, pretty solidly working class parents that were able to, that, that raised me in a time when you could save for your kids college with a working class income and they were able to send me to college. And so, you know, even if I was waiting tables and teaching, I always had a degree to fall back on. You know, there's a lot of people that don't have those things. And so it's like messy to like tangent here, right? Like we were like having this conversation in this episode about these like really lofty philosophical ideas around art making. But those ideas are constantly butting up against this planet that that's like decidedly not the, that way right? Are any of the ideas I just posited in the first half of this podcast episode even remotely relevant to Jesus, the dishwasher from my last serving job? Who, by the way, is like one of the most beautiful people I know to this day. He still messages me on Facebook. Hi, Rebecca, how are you doing? He just always wants to ask me how I'm doing. He like really loves people. And he was always that way, you know, in the restaurant. Like every single person that came in through the back door and would pass his tank. How you doing? How you doing? Uh, I, 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 like it's, I probably not relevant to him. And that sucks, right? And for a long time, for a long time, I kept my art making small because I thought I have so much. And like, who am I to walk away from this stuff that I have for something bigger? (laughs) You know, when I came from these like, places working in these you know working alongside people that would have killed for a fraction of what I have and I wonder if Dave Chappelle had similar thoughts walking away from that Comedy Central deal you know he came from a really modest beginning in the Midwest similar to me Um, and I don't, I don't know the answer to that, 
All I know is that whenever I get to this place in my artistic conversations with that thing that is bigger, that thing that is bigger loves to quote Spider-Man. <laughs> I'm not sure why, but it always reminds me of Peter Parker getting advice from, gosh, and I'm like, I need to brush up on my comic book history. Is it his grandfather? Who says great power comes with great power comes great responsibility. That if you creatively get to the place in your life where you are privileged enough to put the purity before the profit, you have the responsibility to do that because a lot of people don't. Another place that this has happened recently is in the royal family with Harry and Meghan. They walked away from an exorbitant amount of wealth, relatively. I mean, they're always still going to be very supported because of who they are. And it pissed off a lot of people. How dare you? I can barely feed my family. What? what? <laughs> and yet I suspect... Um, you know, you can read Harry's memoir. It just came out. And it's interesting, you know? In interwoven into a lot of his story is this idea of these energies, even at the most privileged levels of society, that need to stop. Enough is enough, right? Enough is enough. Just because I have a lot of money doesn't make it okay to perpetuate this anymore. And so I'm not going to do it. Right? We're creating an army of artists at all levels of society right now. And if you have a lot of access, you have a lot of responsibility, even more responsibility to make some of these choices for, for the people that can't right now it's an interesting idea and it's one that maybe a lot of people listening to are gonna have like prickliness around yeah I certainly still have prickliness around it I I still wonder every day what I'm doing <laughs> I got invited to doodle on coffee cups with Fast Company during South by Southwest this year. And when it fell through, I was relieved because I just didn't know how to negotiate that inside myself. I'm really struggling with it right now. How does someone say no to that, right? Like, what an amazing opportunity. And also, I feel like for me, listening to that voice that's bigger is such an opportunity that so few people get that I have a responsibility to listen. Because as more, more of us listen, the army gets bigger. I remember years ago watching a food documentary. 
I mean, there's so many of them. I don't remember. Like, they all kind of meld together. Do any of you all watch food documentaries? They all kind of, like, start to, like, have the same message. And that's that our food system sucks. And, you know, they all kind of sound the same after a while. But I remember it was one of the first, like, really big food documentaries that came out, like, 20 years ago. When, like, it was really, really out there to suggest that our food system was trash. (laughs) And they were interviewing the CEO of Stonyfield Farms, the yogurt companies, like one of the first organic yogurt companies. Now there's so many, right? It was like one of the first. And he said, the thing about our system is that we have a oligarchy. And when you are trying to create in a system that's structured that way, one of the most artistic things that you can do, one of the most powerful artistic tools you have in an oligarchy is your money. And he said, so in the beginning, it was only the people that had a lot of money that could afford organic But as more and more people with money bought organic, it brought the price down. And then some more people could afford organic. And then as they afforded organic, it brought the price down even more. He said, the way that you spend is incredibly creative and incredibly powerful. He's like, and I knew that organic was going to become the way of the future when Walmart called. Because when Walmart calls, you know that you're, (laughs) you know... He said the way, and it all started with the people that had the resources. And what if those people had said, who am I to do this? Shame on me. You know, who am I? I struggle with a lot of these feelings because, you know, it sucks Like the systems that we have in place right now are really, really unsustainable. And, and for those who are in a position to have some of these artistic conversations with themselves, I really think it's time. Are you one of those people? Are you like, yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah. Um, are you like, um, fuck this podcast episode. I'm going to go to my third job of the week right now (laughs) and then go sleep for five hours and do it again tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck this episode. That, that also is true. Both and right. It all gets to be true. And so I guess in some ways I'm speaking to a very specific group of people here, right? Are you in a position to start asking your art what it wants to be next? Um, If you had come to me five years ago and asked me what my art was going to be next, it would have said, you know, getting into corporate spaces so I could like, live and make money and if you are there yes 
stay there. You're supposed to be there. This isn't a suggestion that all of us are supposed to go out there and say fuck off to capitalism. I don't need money. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You need money. You need to support yourself. And, and if you do that for a while and you start to get that success and then you start to one distant day, find yourself asking some of these questions. This podcast is for those spaces and times to say it's valid. It's valid to wonder if it's time to walk away. Because I really think that that's part of the artistic process that many creative people are on on this planet right now, is renegotiating our relationship with some of these systems. And a huge renegotiation is coming back to our creative roots. Why do I make stuff to begin with? How powerful am I when I use art to heal myself and others? And when collectively we all start making art from that place, that's when Walmart calls, which is a metaphor. right? Walmart's not literally going to go, oh, maybe they will literally call. Probably not. It's a metaphor, right? It's a tipping point. When enough creative people start making from the place of my son singing in the woods at 19 months old, but they start doing it as full-grown adults, we're going to start seeing power structures shift all over the planet. I think this is why I think this is why I'm so intrigued by the metaphor of an army of artists because artists are so conditioned to think of their work as frosting, right? They're conditioned to think of, well, you know, I'm an actor on Broadway and people, yeah, like yeah, I like provide people with entertainment and a nice night on the town, but that's like it, you know? How many people on Broadway go out there thinking, I'm going to change the inner world of someone in despair tonight, and that person might be the next politician to forever change the scope of some particular vein of legislation? Like, is that an overblown metaphor? Yeah, for sure. And also not. (laughs) That's actually how I think art functions all the time. And we, and we don't realize it. We don't, we don't give ourselves credit for the ways that our work is profoundly shifting the underside of the world because we're always being seduced by the surface. Am I making money? Do people like it? Does it look beautiful? You know, how many Broadway shows are measured by their ticket sales when they should be measured by how they are healing their audience? Yeah, yeah, that's the direction. That's the direction we're going. I want to wrap up with this because I think it's like an a beautiful way to sort of end this vein but you can also go and watch this on youtube yourself if you want because i think it'll 
it'll be really beautiful to get it directly from the source. I'm, I'm paraphrasing right now. Um, during the pandemic, a friend of mine sent me this video from Martha Beck. She, for those of you unfamiliar with her, she is a former Harvard sociologist who, um, after a long time of working in the college environment, went out on her own and has her own coaching business. I mean, she's coached people like Oprah, like, you know, celebrity level stuff. Very, very interesting woman. And she did a video that you can watch on YouTube called The Pyramid and the Pool. And she kind of starts off by just saying, you know, I've always believed ever since I chose sociology as my career that I was going to live through a human shift in consciousness that has not been seen on the planet in a really long time. She said, I don't know why I've thought this. I've just always thought it. And I wanted to study it. I thought, is there a way I can measure this and study it and observe it? Whatever. And she kind of goes through this explanation of what she thinks is happening on the planet right now. And it's very cool. And you should watch it if you're interested. But I want to like just wrap up this episode with one of the sentiments that she talks about, which is that up until now, every revolution that has ever happened anywhere on on the planet has always been in the traditional form of battle where one side wins and the other side loses. One side acquires power and prestige, the other side loses power and prestige. One side gets a lot of energy, one side loses a lot of energy. And she said, up and Till now, that's how it's always been. And she said, you know, sadly, even people that have been oppressed, even groups of people that have been oppressed for, you know, generations, if they win a particular battle in history, they always inevitably go and replace the power structure that they destroyed with the exact same power structure. (laughs) That up until recently humans have been unable to break out of the same patterns and she said this time is going to be different this time there's not going to be a loser no losers in this battle no losers with armies of artists (laughs) instead it's going to be an absorption so There's people who are coming up with new creative ways of doing life. And there's people that are going to absorb into that way. And eventually everyone will be on the same ship. Mm, That's interesting, isn't it? I like that idea because to me, that's how artists work. I've never, ever pictured artists going out with paintbrushes as swords. No, like that's not you know and 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 there are artists that have tried you know i think there's a lot of artists that have gotten you know incredibly aggressive and maybe even violent in their practices as they've tried to become relevant everly ever increasingly relevant in these structures that are so unsustainable you know but aside from them i think for the majority of artists their type of battle isn't actually a battle. It's an inclusion. 
do you want to come over here where we make things to heal ourselves? Cool. Let me show you how to do it. That's like the type of person that is up until recently on the planet been kind of considered irrelevant. And I think that type of person is over the next 30 or 40 years going to be sought after for their perspective on living more and more and more. And I think that's one of the things that Chappelle was kind of getting at is we need to organize ourselves. Creative people need to get organized. It's time, you know? Mm. Take what resonates with you and leave the rest. There is so much in these uncut episodes that is raw and not well refined and therefore triggering, therefore, you know, um, poorly described um, on the very positive end and then on the worst end, very could be potentially harmful. And I think that's one of the reasons why posting these episodes uncut has been so challenging for me. And, and so the disclaimer is going to be the best way for me to divert some of that energy. There's crap in this episode that's probably not good. Leave it. Keep the parts that matter. That's what artists do. You keep what matters, you, you ditch the rest. Yeah. Keep what matters, ditch the rest. I love y'all. Thank you for holding space this entire episode for this content. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for sharing this stuff. That was one of the things that really brought me back home to recording again, is getting messages that people share them. That is the biggest gift. Um, The biggest gift. Please consider sharing the podcast with people you think would benefit from it. Please consider leaving a review. Um, It helps get the podcast in front of more ears. Um, Until next time, whenever that time may be, I love y'all. Peace.